Sometimes the best way to understand our society and culture is to take a deep dive to find our peace of mind. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Peace of Mind. Yeah baby, we're back. Back for another episode, episode 85. Come with you with cancel culture. Y'all, cancel culture. That motherfucking shit we don't want to talk about because it's painful. Um, so we got our wonderful, fantastic, incredible, extraordinaire, Eli, our co-host. Yes, I'm right here. Sorry, I'm trying to still, I figured out a way to make this extremely grainy and live on Facebook. We're live Whoa. on Facebook too, right? hey oh, peace from mm-hmm. flow ho. No, it's so flow. Never, yeah, it's the other day. <laughs> no, you just get smaller. I know I get bigger, honey. They know it. They know it real well. Okay, anyway. well, this is how it's gonna look for today. It's real dumb. Yes, but it works. All right, so we're here. We're he- we are here to talk about cancel culture. Okay. Yes. Cancel culture. Now, number one question I got for you: What? The motherfucking shit is cancel culture. We got we gotta we gotta ask this question. What the bloody hell is cancel culture? Cancel culture is when somebody does something bad. Um, it can be against a certain marginalized group of people or a certain against a certain person or just against a general uh, like Sexual, like a country. Sexual this is something that conduct. is not PC, not socially acceptable, but okay. not just like PC, but just like generally against like what society deems as like okay and not okay on a larger scale. And then they get called out um, publicly, often on Twitter before Elon Musk bought it, and um, or like other social media platforms. And then like they basically get dragged on like social platforms and then in news articles and in sort of gossip articles until they, um, basically get taken off of call sheets and blacklisted temporarily, sometimes temporarily and sometimes permanently. Like um, some of them come back after a few years, like Louis C.K., for example. Um, if you ever watched the show Bojack Horseman, which is like one of the best fucking shows ever, um, they did a really good example of that at the end of the show where it's just like the, you know, there's like a regurgitation in Hollywood of people just getting canceled and coming back. But cancel culture is basically, um, it's sort of like a, like a, the intentions are, I don't know if the intentions are good necessarily, but the intentions are to create some sort of justice in an in unjust system, but in a way that kind of makes it so that the person can never make amends with the people that they wronged. It's just, you did this thing, you're no longer welcome at the table, you're no longer welcome at the party or on the TV show or whatever, you're gone, you're canceled. We can't like you anymore. I think... We as human beings need to open up our minds and find a way to look at these people. Okay, look at these celebrities for who they really are. They're people. They're just like us. They just have a position where they can reach a larger audience. Okay. And as people, they're going to make fucking mistakes. Okay, there's a lot of people in Hollywood. There are people that I'm fond of. For example, okay, I'm a fan of John Lennon. That fucking bastard was a piece of shit. 
David Bowie, God bless his soul, wasn't a great human being when it came to certain parts of his life. A lot of these people did really fucked up shit. But they they realized what they did. They apologized. Some of them even tried to just separate themselves or, or try a completely different path. Um, what am I getting at? What I'm getting at is I don't think the approach should be canceling. You know, where does education fit in the picture? Well, so there is there's a couple of different variations of cancel culture. So cancel culture is sort of the more, well, this is not even, cancel culture is like one branch of a much larger tree. Oh, yeah. um, and the tree sure. kind of comes back to a concept called restorative justice. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Okay. So like for people who don't know, um, it's restorative justice is basically like, it's a, it's a tactic used to um, call people in once they've done something that's wrong, um, call them into the society, like their, their society, their current culture, their current circles and paradigms um, and have people that love, them there as well as the people that they have wronged and collectively they're able to figure out what retribution is and what justice is and they're able to move forward um so call out culture is kind of an aspect of that um call in culture is more directly an aspect of that call out culture is just saying hey this thing is wrong let's look at this thing that's wrong look at who did it call in culture is hey this thing is wrong look at who did it look at what you know look at what they did and then also let's bring them into the conversation and see if they understand th- what they did and see if they have any idea of, of how to fix that and how to rectify it and then cancel culture is is kind of like the hyperbolic extreme of all of that and saying hey this person did this bad thing they're bad forever or they're bad for at least a prolonged period of time and I've, I've like, like I've actually I've known people who have like kind of bigger social media followings and stuff who have gotten canceled for reasons before. And it is a wild thing. Like it is literally like if if they if somebody says something, uh, it's not like a, like a close friend of mine or anything, but I did kind of witness it. How I was like, wow, that's fucking wild. Like it is literally in like within like an afternoon, your entire career will just have fallen apart. I've I, I've I've had this thought before and. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not at this point or anything, but I've had this conversation before. If this platform, the platform that I'm working on, ever reaches levels of a large audience, there is a chance I could be canceled. And I, you know, in the potential future, I could see that happening. But what I'm trying to get at is, you know, like you were mentioning, when we are here as a society, we do not want rapists running around in the streets freely, especially ones that can attract a large audience. We do not want racist, white nationalist Nazis, okay, that believe that white lives matter, bullshit my ass, is the approach to be in any kind of high position. You do not want these people in any type of position that they can have power. So, you're eliminating that because it it it's making sure you're not dead tomorrow. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean Yes. So sorry. So um part of it is I think self-protection, um, or like not self-protection, but protection of those who are like marginalized and more 
um, at risk in different communities and different like parts of society. And demographics. But the other part of it is whether I think I think part of it comes from like, like if you call out like neo-Nazis, they're probably not going to want to come to the table and figure out a way to make things good again. They don't care. They want to make things bad. That's kind of their whole point, their whole MO. They want right. to create destruction and chaos. So if you were to try to do some sort of like restorative justice with somebody like that, unless they had truly gone through like a, like a, a what was that movie with Edward Norton in it? Um, from the early nineties about neo-Nazis and. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh my God. I know. What is it called? Uh, it's American the- history X. So unless they go through like a kind of American history X level of like internal, like heart transformation through some sort of traumatic series of events, like they're probably not going to want to have a conversation about how they shouldn't be racist anymore. So in that case, what do you do other than just cancel them? I, I, I like this approach, which is called a one-on-one. I, people, you've probably seen this on YouTube in the past couple of years. A one-on-one is where they'll they'll have the camera that will kind of do a bird's eye view, so you can kind of see everybody down. And you have one side that's blue, you know, it's just painted blue, and the other side is yellow. And then they ask a question. They say, people that believe... And I've seen this. People that believe in this culture, please stand here. And then people that believe in that culture, please stand here. And they have these two people with opposite views. And they have a conversation where they ask counterintuitive questions aiming at one another. So in short, they're asking questions that are, you know, disproving their beliefs on either side. And it could sometimes get a little, you know, aggressive. Sometimes it doesn't. They sometimes have a really great conversation. That I think would is a great approach. Is you have that conversation. Well, so for that, I I agree. Um, I like. I mean, that that is kind of. I mean, it's not restorative justice, but it's like it's in the same neighborhood, I guess. Um, cause you're engaging in conversation rather than just like, um, saying that this is wrong and cutting ties. But the thing is to do that, you have to have both parties actually invested enough and, um, open to having a sit down conversation and talking it out. Like, I think that a lot of the situations, so a lot of the times where like people become canceled, it's, it's I'm okay. There's, there's obviously there's different like levels of it, but of like, like a Harvey Weinstein, for example, is not going to sit down with one of his victims and talk it out. No, it's just never going to happen. Of course not. No, he still wields, you know, like people who wield tremendous amount of power are never going to do that. And that's kind right. of the whole reason I think the cancel culture exists is because when you can't have that kind of, when you can't have that kind of like reconciliation or not even reconciliation, but just like, you know, anal- analysis of a situation between people where people can't hear each other actively, how how do you take a stance against people who've done, you know, reprehensible things? I think it's all about the approach. It's all about how you face the problem at hand. I think that a lot of people use cancel culture to negatively target people that speak openly about things. 
especially when it comes to you know hot topics like women's rights L- you know um the queer rights um there's a lot of other things that continue down the list but there's a way of yeah. but again there's a way of handling the situation you know what i'm going to say this and it's so true about people we are animals we have this tactic of just conquering okay we we want to we we just want to conquer everything in our path um and the second we have that power in our hand you know now we have a phone and and you can you can hold it um and you can just control anything in the palm of your hand it's a lot of power it's a lot of power yes it is well, and you also have different levels of where I think where I think it kind of ends up falling apart a little bit is like when you have people who do different levels of things that are sort of socially unacceptable or reprehensible and are in, are treated similarly. Like people who say something that's like an off-color comment, not saying that that's okay, but that's a different thing than somebody who like, you know, assaulted somebody else. Those are different levels of gravity for sure. And they can't really, I don't think they should be treated the same. I don't think that you should let the person who says the bad thing slide. I think that you should call them out or call them in and, you know, you know, have a discussion about it and have like, you know, figure out like a way to address it. But I don't think that they should be canceled in the same way or like, you know, reprimanded in the same way that somebody who acts physical or sexual violence against somebody or like, you know, does harm against somebody because of the color of their skin or their religious beliefs or whatever, you know? And I think that when we put it all into sort of a blanket statement of canceling people, we're not looking at, we're like seeing a similar weight to things that, or we're seeing like a similar treatment just to things that don't have a similar weight. No, we're we're not. You know, we we. Here's the thing. If you want, if you want to be successful, and you have to hold yourself back from saying the truth. Um, how are you successful? I mean, you're you're spending all of your time being like that. being weird. Never mind. Come on. Oh, sorry. Being <laughs> being weird. You can't face the world and show them who you are as a person. Uh, And like you said before, like within reason, you know, if you have somebody that's doing, God knows, um, you know, heavy, you know, heavy drugs or abusing women or such, you know, sexual misconduct or whatever the case may be, that's a completely different story. But somebody having a different perspective or trying to tell their story the way they 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 know how to say it and then you you you're basically saying no no you you can't say anything because you're wrong so we're going to cancel you I, yes it, it, well that it, that's so a really extreme levels example of that recently is like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial yes i don't know how closely you followed that did you yes i did it was 
a trip. <laughs> As it somebody was. who grew up with a, a, a mother who was the abusive one in, or with a more abusive one in the household and the father who was like kind of a sad alcoholic, I was like, this is a very close to home situation. But um, that that aside, um, that was a really interesting one because Johnny Depp was like 100% canceled from culture in general because of the trial that had happened before. And I didn't because cancel of him. Justifications, I didn't cancel had, him. Huh? I didn't cancel him. I honestly didn't even think, like, I I hate to say, like, he just wasn't really on my radar because I he don't really either. care about, I love his early work, but like, I don't really care about the Pirates of the Caribbean, like, at all. So, like, I'll probably, I don't know, like, it's not just not I my like thing. So, like, Tom. I paid attention to him in his, like, early career, and then I kind of just stopped paying attention when he was, like, all Disney, all Tim Burton, whatever. So, like, I didn't really, I wasn't really aware on a major scale of, like, right. what happened until, like, this new trial came out. But, like... Like, I was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, like, well, you know, he's doing Blow with Marilyn Manson and then comes out to be problematic. I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised as much as I used to love Marilyn Manson. Like, that's kind of a, a bad road to go down. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, a lot of the people who were heroes of that era are like, you know, c- celebrities of that era, like, they ended up going down really pretty dark paths. Because oh, a lot of that was celebrated, too, culturally, until people start calling that stuff out as being, you know, See, that was the see that, that that's also something important we should have mentioned like in the 90s you had um Kurt Cobain you know when he had his suicide and then there was awareness that slowly started spreading about suicide and you had incidents with AIDS where you know towards the late 90s they were starting to be able to have better treatments for it And it allowed people to start developing more and more programs and platforms around it to help people that were in need. Um, In media, you had Angels in America come out both as a play and as an HBO show, which really brought a lot of attention to like male gay life and living with AIDS in a way that like a lot of a lot of people in like, you know, Omaha, Nebraska never heard of before. Like there were that show and a couple of other ones that actually like showed a glimpse into like AIDS life and also queer life that like hadn't been seen before or understood. You see, the problem is is that with this idea of cancel culture that exists presently as it is, okay, as it stands right now in all of its variety of forms, if you have somebody that comes out and says that we blame the Reagan administration for the dozens, I, I don't even know the number of how many people died from AIDS throughout the 80s. You know, you can have people from the, conser- you know, not sorry, the Republican side come and say, well, we don't want this. We're going to cancel you because this goes against our belief. You're deshaming a great Republican president. See what I'm saying? So they're able to cancel these these people even though they're stating the obvious, which is true, but they don't yeah, want to hear usually it. Usually it's not that side canceling people. You'd like, be surprised. You'd be it's su- usually not right. It's usually not conservatives who are canceling. You'd anybody. be surprised. I actually found an article that showed that the Democrat and Republican side, they're about 15% d- difference. So the Republican is 15% low. I think it's 33%. Um, that are a part of the cancel culture as well. So it's not that it's not that big of a margin. It's just like a 15% difference between the two. Yeah. I had a couple of things. 
at some point there, I had a couple of things I wanted to touch back on talking yeah, sure. about just like, like glorification of negativity and celebrity culture. And then also like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing. So I'm going to do that one real like quickly. Cause it's kind of a shorter thing, but basically like he was canceled by larger mainstream society because he was considered like a woman, be- a woman beater. And a right. lot of the, I mean, so it kind of came to light in the second trial that like a lot of the, like he had withheld a lot of what had happened to him during the relationship. And they were both kind of, you know, they're both shitty. They're not, he's, he was not a saint by any means, no. but he was definitely in an abusive relationship and he was not the primary abuser as it, you know, became very abundantly clear. And like, um, I mean, I think a lot of, there are some people who strongly disagree with me and I've, we've talked about it, but then my opinion and a lot of the, you know, a lot of, you're entitled <laughs> to your own opinion, but but what's interesting though is like we we got to see kind of in real time like the justice system bring like him b- back from being called out or i mean sorry canceled and so he is no longer canceled or he's been like you know reintegrated into society but for a good few years he was like completely like shunned and like not welcome at anything and like all of his like you know sponsors and backing fell through and stuff and it basically his, his career was over his life as an actor was over and then we see it come back when he's able to prove that he had also been abused. So it's it's an interesting thing, um, seeing somebody come gone, be gone and come back from it, and not in the same way. Like you know, like Louis C.K. was canceled and then came back from it um, a few years later after he you know got caught masturbating in front of some female peers in the comedy scene and stuff. And like he's, he's but, spoke, and he spoke. If I'm not mistaken, huh? he. And I'm mistaken, when he came on to the Joe Rogan podcast, he spoke about this. Don't quote me on this, but if I'm not mistaken, if you want to know f- more details about what we're talking about with Louis C.K., believe it's on that. Uh, I believe it's on that episode. That's all I wanted to share. Well, he he like he disappeared for a while, and then he ended up gaining a lot of more like in Sally kind of alt-right backers, whereas before it was a bunch of more like sardonic kind of liberal comics and comedians and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he just, he came back with a different audience, which was strange. Um, Aziz Ansari disappeared. I thought that was, that was a crazy thing. I felt like he was, I felt like I really appreciated how he approached being canceled or called out or whatever. But I also think that he was like the least offender of any of them. Like, from I remember I read the whole article and I read t- analyses of the article and it was very much like it felt very like um, really stretching to like make that what it was. But then I thought that his um, his resignation was extremely graceful and he disappeared for a few years and then he came back after a while. But instead of using his platform to just highlight his own story, he used the TV show that he'd been doing for season three. He to- totally took a back seat. He still wrote the whole thing, directed it and everything. But like he took a back seat in terms of his character and he was only in like one episode. And the entire thing was about the black lesbian couple trying to have a baby. Like it was beautiful. And it was also like the best season of the entire show. And I thought that was like a really, really wonderful way to come back and integrate back into being in like a social or like a public person was to have a very like humble seat in your own ship. <laughs> You see, like, not everybody not trying to steer it from the front. Yeah, but not everybody. You see, the thing is, not everybody has the opportunity to be able to come back to society. A lot of people that have been canceled, and people that were canceled for minor things. We're not talking about major, crazy, you know, absurd. We're talking about just like minor things. 
and they've been canceled for years. Um, yeah. And their lives are completely ruined. And for what? Because they said a, a stupid thing at, at, a, at a dinner party. I'm, I'm being serious. Like, that's the level. No, of how- uh, yeah. I mean, and also it's like people sometimes suck out of their asses, especially if they have, you know, if they have ADHD or, yeah. or if they just are drunk or high or whatever and they say some dumb like things me. and then they yeah. end up, that ends up ruining them. Somebody records it and publish it, publishes it. But something I wanted to touch on too is like what's Sorry. a very interesting twist in society like now versus like the 90s. So like I do very much remember the 90s. Like I, w- I was aware of like I was born in 86 and really started getting into like watching MTV and stuff when I was like, you know, like eight or nine years old. So like I kind of was like paying attention to and like HBO show. Like I was an adult very young, <laughs> but like I kind of like watched stuff and like like the stuff that I liked was like, you know, like like Gia and like apex twin music videos and like nine inch nails it was like pretty dark stuff or like stuff about addiction nine inch you know, nails was... is not dark come on what nine inch nails is not i mean the original video for closer like in the oh, 90s yeah. that, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, like yeah, was yeah that was nine inch nails good. now is not dark nine inch nails now no, is like, just like back, political commentary no but like back in the 90s they weren't like there's like dark I don't know how to explain this. It's like there's when, he, dark. when they came out with the Joel Peter Whitkin inspired music video yeah. for Closer, that had all of the conservatives up in arms. And that was also when he was like besties with Marilyn Manson and they would tour together and they did all the super dark shit together and like collaborated. And um, that's what I was going to say though, is they wanted to talk about like Marilyn Manson as a concept. Um, so like he was very glorified by like everything about his brand was just like hyper negativity. Literally they were named after, after like Hollywood bombshells and serial killers. The entire band was, that was the concept for the entire band. Marilyn, Marilyn Manson, Manson, Charles you know, Manson, Twiggy Ramirez. Like it was all like um, ginger fish. Like it was all like every, that was the point of it. It was that it was reveling in this negativity. And if you listen to the first couple albums, I was a huge fan when I was a teenager. I, now I can like, I mean, I, I, I have so many issues with him as like in this day and age, it's hard to really like appreciate it, but like, I can still kind of get into like portrait of American family. It's the same thing for me for Michael Jackson. But yeah, exactly. It's like kind of a similar situation, Yeah, but like, like portrait of American family and like some of his earlier work was all just like commentary on like the hypocrisy of Christian America and, and like suburban America and, and, um, or just like, you know, kind of, or like, impoverished america where like people were just like exploiting and like you know you sexually using like young kids like it was it was all commentary on like the corruption of the united states basically as a larger overarching cultural commentary and then like and it was really good it was really good it was like really groundbreaking stuff and it was stuff that nobody else was getting away with doing and it was brilliant he was like he was clearly very smart and he 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 rode that wave for a while and then he it kind of it fluctuated up and down it kind of like went more twisted kind of trivial like it went back and forth until he got really into uh, um when he did golden age of grotesque was also when he was dating evan rachel woods and that's when things just kind of spiraled out and that was when he became I, like i, I this, do like, want to um okay so this is a great conversation but i do want well, to explain do you want to explain why this is important because there was a cancel yes. culture around. No, there's Trump. a whole point. Well, so yeah. there's a whole point to this. So yeah, what yeah. I'm saying is like, it wasn't into like people glorified everything. That, like, like, yeah. I mean, the right wing 
hated it, but like media, MTV, VH1, Much Music, all of, like all of that stuff loved Marilyn Manson and what he was doing because it was this meta cultural commentary that he was getting away with. Um, and then until he started doing things where he was clearly being like a sleazy old man dating young women. And it became a lot weirder because he was also appealing to an even younger audience, whereas his audience, he'd grown with his audience until that point. And then he was suddenly appealing to like hot topic teenagers. And it was a very strange shift. And that was when people kind of started paying less attention to him. But that's also when he started releasing things like Doppelhertz, which again, these things are all made. They're all accepted. They're all produced by his labels. They're all, you know, like, like Doppelhertz was an ex- super twisted, like, like, I don't know, BDSM art film. It's, it, but it's like, you watch that and you're like, there's zero, zero surprise that this person came out for like, you know, violence against people later on in his life, like zero surprise. And that's kind of the thing. It's like, when you glorify that stuff in an art form, you are kind of saying we glorify this in this individual because he's not separate from his brand. Like he's, he's, you never see, you never know of him as not Marilyn Manson. And so to celebrate him for doing things like double hearts or to do things, doing things like golden age of grotesque, where he's singing about this 22 year old starlet that he was dating. Like, and you're, it's being celebrated. It's being, you know, like streamed on like, you know, music channels and like, it's some, something that is widely socially acceptable. And then suddenly he starts doing it and it gets called out in this kind of more modern era of call out culture of cancel culture. And suddenly all the things that he was being celebrated before are suddenly bad. And that's, this is where I was kind of going to in just giving you like a whole rundown of it is like, it's literally a lot of the same actions that people were praising him for before now through this, a different lens, people are calling him out for. And I think it's really interesting because it's like, this is where it gets kind of like confusing and convoluted in terms of like, I'm not saying that there's any justification in a lot of people's actions, especially like, you know, sort of rock stars, like, you know, I don't know, the rock star groupie dynamic, whatever. I mean, but like, it's a good, essential, whatever. but it, it is a good thing to talk about because rock yeah. stars, they have an easier, to be honest, it's much easier to explain cancel culture with rock stars. Yes. Because it's so wide stream so it's i guess we have a clearer picture of it i guess if that makes sense totally but what's interesting yeah it it is and it's also something that's like it's such a it's such an obvious example for cancel culture but the irony is that like literally these things were celebrated until a certain point in time around the me too movement and then now the things that they were celebrated for publicly are things that are considered cancel worthy. And like, I'm not saying I disagree, but I'm saying it is kind of an interesting perspective to look at it where it's like, it's not that there's this kind of narrative within cancel culture of how do people get away with that? I think and uh, it's not a question of getting away with that. It's a question of, it's like literally people fantasize about being rock stars because rock stars could do that. It wasn't like they were getting away with something dirty. It was like that was what being a rock star meant for a lot of them. I, I, I was thinking about this before. Um, so David Bowie's last album was called Black Star. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's an amazing album. I have it. I paid $70. I don't give a shit. It's one of my favorite albums. Um, but when I listen to that album... I hear a man 
giving his eulogy at his own funeral. That that's what the album sounds to me. It sounds like him literally giving his eulogy. Um, he put that into his music. Okay, what does that tell me? Is when you have a musician when they're creating their music, they're putting themselves into it. Do you know how many? Do you know how many bands today play music? I've heard it talking about doing heroin, um, doing fentanyl, shooting people in the head, um, you know, killing people because they're different. I mean, I've, I've heard this from like people's like phone and I get it. Like there's a lot of great music that's going on, but there's some music that is there's there's violence and then there's cynical violence where it's purposely put there for, for a reason. And I don't like that. I don't. Well, if it's put there as a shine, like holding up a mirror to society and culture, I think it's okay. Usually not but though. Like if, if it's meant as like a commentary, I think it's okay. But I think if it's meant as something that is like, in earnest, then I think it is perhaps misguided. I, I, like, I, I think we both can agree that if we talk about gangster rap, I'm just using that as an example, okay? Because it is a, it's a heavier it's a heavier version of rap. Um, I mean, I would say that currently trap music is way like yeah. more what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, way and, more. I have a partner who like DJs trap music. Like I'm very, I'm very well versed in what you're talking about and probably know a lot of what you're talking about by name. Like it's, and I think that there's something very interesting about that whole movement. Cause a lot of them are like under like 25 and stuff. Like a lot of them are super young and they are a lot of like young, mostly dudes of color. And a lot of what they're doing is not in earn is not in earnest. It's, it is commentary and it's commentary on, like it's commentary on both like rap music as a whole and then also on like racism and violence in this con in this culture like it's it's not i wouldn't say that i mean i'd say some of it is celebrating it but i'd also say some of it is more commenting on it and it's really it, it, it you really touches, have to listen to it kind of deeply to to see which witness which what it, it touches on you know um I learned this also like old school rap, like old school hip hop. It comes from, you know, if people gangster rap is very easy. Like it, it, it came from gangster culture, but a lot of the early songs, like even from like the late nineties, they're all about the culture. They're all about explaining what they went through, their pain, their suffering, you know, like they're what made them, a rapper and there's a lot of strength in there was a lot of strength in that music very powerful songs came out of it and it's i, I well, don't know rap I'm, as a whole is all about them talking about how they got to where they are or not all yeah. but like a lot of no, talk, there's, rappers there's talking about how they yeah. got to where they are but i also think it was a different hurdle back then yes it like, was the reason like the, the reason like old school like like early like hip-hop and rap has the sense of kind of gravity and power that it has is because it was, they were the first ones doing it. <clears throat> like the first of any 
group of musicians or artists or whatever, the first ones doing it have more gravitational pull and imprint than a lot of the, the predecessors do just by definition, because they're the first ones doing it. I was thinking that about that, watching the David Bowie uh, documentary, thinking just about like watching a lot of the early footage where I was like, it would have been so wild to be one of the first people seeing this whole experience. Like, it wasn't like there was a point of reference for that. He became the point of reference. Like, you know, like, um, like Wu-Tang Clan or like, you know, uh, NWA or something like they, they became like the points of reference for these things because Cypress they were the Hill. first ones doing it. Cypress Hill. Like, huh? Cypress Hill. Cypress. Well, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, obviously they just named two. There's like I a know. bunch of them. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> Bond, Bond Thugs. Like, I mean, there's, yes. yeah, but like, like there's, 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 you know, there's L, um, several LL, dozen. Um, oh, LL Cool J? I hope the same Tupac. Number. Tupac, Biggie, Smalls. Like, I mean, yeah, it goes on. It's a long so, list. A it's a long list. But what I'm saying is all of that, that era of them and some of the ones that were, you know, even a little bit before that, like they were like more underground and didn't get famous in that, like in the same way they did. They're the first people, not just making it in terms of the music industry, but also the first people showing the rest of the world that that culture exists unless they were part of that culture or witnessing that culture firsthand. So like people in New York, Chicago, LA, like all understood that that culture existed. They saw it. They saw the culture that, that, you know, rap and hip hop emerged from because it existed in those cities. Somebody again in Omaha, Nebraska, sorry to pick on Omaha tonight, like might not even have any idea that that existed in the eighties. And, you know, like, so it's not just like the gravity of it in the music industry. It's it as a cultural space if you want to go back just a little bit further take blues you know the original rock and rollers were black americans black americans were the ones that invented um the blues and rock and roll that we know and i'm telling you you can find that on spotify some of these tracks like they're from like the 40s and early 50s they're fucking bomb they're like yeah. fast and they're powerful and it just and then you listen to the stuff that came afterwards it's rock and roll it's it's you know kind of the same thing but man it doesn't have the same it doesn't have the same i don't know it doesn't have the same pizzazz uh i don't know why what any of this has to do with cancel culture this is what happens sometimes we get off track but um how did we get here? I'm very curious. Um, I can take you back. <laughs> Hold on a second. My computer is dying because of all of the troubleshooting that we did before we started actually recording this episode. So just give me two seconds. Um, I can give you okay, five sliding. seconds. It's back. It, it's back. Um, five. This is a, I'm in my partner's chair right now that they have been re, re, re fabricating. Beautiful. For like three weeks. It is really beautiful. And actually it's an extremely good backdrop for videos. Um, it's the it first is. Shot anything in it. <laughs> I love it. Um, but how we got here was talking about um, celebration of, or like how, we were talking about how things are now considered cancelable that were celebrated when they first happened. And then that kind of snowballed into you were talking about like 
more current like trap music and stuff and like the violence and the lyrics of that and i was saying well some of it is commentary and some of it is real you have to like listen to it kind of one-to-one to like figure out which is which like and then <clears throat> you were saying it doesn't have the same gravity as old school hip-hop and i was like well right because old school hip-hop was the first people doing it i love <laughs> like old so i think but all that is to say like to like the Tipper Gores of the world and the, you know, Ugh. Christian mothers, like fuck Tipper Gore. The early rap artists would have been canceled. So it's all kind of like it's kind of relative in a sense. Like I think now we have a thing where it's not about Republican or Democrat and it's not about like what your political or, you know, religious affiliation is. It's more like, are you violating someone else's like body? or mind or spirit are you harming another person are you taking advantage of somebody who doesn't have any power and that's what's cancelable for the most part i think it should be i think it should be called calling culture (laughs) i like changing i like changing words and creating a new perspective and i'm changing this one now let's change it from cancel culture to calling culture what is calling culture well it's call out culture or call in culture. You know, it it's it it's the the umbrella. It's calling. So you have the call in and you have the call out. It's calling. So it did calling. It has the in and the out. It's the two. Anyway, okay. So you have. You it's have a the, telephone. Yeah, it's a telephone. Um, yeah, you have you have two options. You can talk to the operator. You can actually dial a number. If anybody even remembers what that is, um. So. You have this perspective, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, where you view the person as an individual. You have that conversation with the person, and you make a decision, a reliable decision, a a system that actually works, because if you just... You know, this is this is why we have a fucked up prison system in this country. If you want to create justice and you want to be able to teach someone a lesson <laughs> so that they can actually do better. You actually have to give them something to work towards. Yes. If they're worth receiving. OK, I, I know there are people that are not worth any of this, but. Yes. Yes. I mean, this is why I love the concept of um, of restorative justice, because it's not you're literally taking the person who, you know, like in a, in like a restorative justice circle, for example, which they do in prison, some prisons and they do that in some like like schools and stuff instead of like regular punishment now, which I think is brilliant. But I think that we should do it in a larger sense as well, like maybe even for celebrities, who knows? But like basically, you know, there's like a the textbook definition of it is like where you have like a circle of people and you have like mediators and you know professionals who are in work work through difficult behavioral things like this but then you have like the person who's a perpetrator you have like some of their closest friends and allies who are like in full support of them even you know and recognize that what they did was wrong but still love them then you have like you know the person or people that they wronged in the same circle and you have some of their supporters and you have just general people in their community and immediate culture surrounding them. And so it's not something, and so everybody is able to say their piece about this person and this person is able to respond and then it becomes a discussion and it becomes really a conversation between like, what did this person do? How does everybody, you know, 
how does everybody feel about this? How are we collectively going to decide what to do moving forward? And it puts a lot of what happens to this person in the hands of the people that they've wronged and also their, you know, dear friends and, and community members. So it's like collectively deciding how do we deal with this person's behavior? And I think that that's a brilliant way of resolving these issues because I don't think anything like the criminal justice system works. And I don't think that call out, I think that cancel culture just instead of addressing and resolving the behavior or the issue, it goes it, over it's it. just, well, it's just ignoring, it's ignoring it. It's shutting yeah, it out. It goes, which it go, in some it goes cases, over again, it. you need to, but huh? it goes over it. I mean, it's, I think one thing we need to we, we need to be able to grasp onto is as a society as we're moving forward into the future we'll never be a perfect society there'll, there'll always be chaos there, there will always be crime there'll always be bad people it, it, it's just the reality of the world that we live in however that doesn't mean that the majority of all of us that means all kinds of people have the capacity and ability to live a better and functional life and being able to weed out. And, I, and I, when I say weed out, I, I mean this in a way where you're not removing people out of society. You're saying, look, the things you're doing is wrong, right? This is a problem. It's not a, you know what? It's not a criminal justice system. You need to create a institution. It needs to it's be a, a place of, of education. What? It's a system of accountability. Yes. Personal accountability as well as community accountability. It needs to be a place where they can be educated. You know, I mean, look what they're doing in Norway. They created an education center and it's yeah. a prison crazy oh i know yeah it's i know it's brilliant it's a such a good idea amazing idea well but the, the thing is though and this is this is where it gets difficult is you never know like what trauma a person is bringing to that circle or that environment and i'm only saying that because like a lot of the time a person's ability to truly understand what they did to other people and what they made other people feel can be limited by their own personal trauma that they have not yet dealt with. And um, how many defenses the experience like triggers in their own like defense mechanisms. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because, you know, like, so like, huh? no, I mean, like, it's just something to just point out. We as human beings today, we're, we're very soft compared to previous generations. We, we, we we're very, well, we're but, very fragile. I don't think we're fragile at all, actually. I think that we are, I have a different take. So I don't see it as fragility at all. I see it as we are the first generation, especially my generation. Like you guys are like a little bit, not saying you're not doing it, but like this is something that I see people talk about who are my age and a little bit older on TikTok all the time, where it's like, this is, we're the first generation that's 
and a very large, like massive scale trying to undo generational trauma and like, um, you know, stop addiction processes and stop abuse like systems and stuff that are within our own family systems and within, you know, the systems immediately around us. We are examining the, like, you know, the behavior that gets passed down from parent to child, to parent to child. And like, we are taking it apart and really looking at it and figuring out what caused it and how we can, how we can rectify it and how we can undo that damage and kind of like heal the trauma that created it in the first place on an intergenerational and personal level. And so I don't see it as fragile whatsoever. I see it as extremely strong because it's going into a lot of the dark, like a lot of the dark spaces that many generations have just been using uh, different forms of escapism um, to not look at. What I mean by what I mean by fragile is we as people today, we live very comfortable lives. Um, we have very, we have a lot of very minute things that will get us irritated or pissed off or, you know, just vulnerable. Um, when I say Fragile, I don't mean it in a sense where, you know, if you throw us on the floor, we'll break into a thousand pieces. What I'm trying to say is we just, we live very comfortable lives compared to previous generations. And we need to be able to broaden our minds because we have a lot more time to think than previous generations. Yes. Well, and that's why we're able to have the time to take apart things like generational trauma and PTSD and like, you know, understand like all these very tiny delineations of identity and history and, you know, yes. and psychology. Yes. We have the time and space to do it. We're not, you know, like fighting wild animals or sin or like, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to make an analogy. <laughs> We have time and space to do it because we have a lot of things that are done for us. And we had a lot of society that came before us. And so we're not building our own houses, really. We're not like, you know, building our own cars. We're not collecting wood for a fire. We have all of these amenities that are already taken care of. So we have time. We have time. And I think in a sense, we have the responsibility of really taking apart the follies of uh, our, you know, our families and our cultures and ourselves and, understanding not how to not pass it on to future generations. And it's also the constant reminder that as people, you know, put in, you know, that it's, it's always a thing like, Oh, this generation, they're crazy. They're, you know, they're wild and the, this, and they got this problem and they got pro this problem. You know what I'm like? Why can't we just realize that maybe the newer generations are going to clean up your shit when you die? Oh, yeah. I mean, my I, I have I love Generation Z. I, I like, you know, as an elder millennial, I wish sometimes I'm like, man, I miss I missed missed opportunity. I should have been born now, but I'm glad I experienced everything I did. But it's like I love what Generation Z is doing. I love how much they are breaking down like gender barriers and and discussing in, you know, discussing and analyzing race and culture and oppression and PTSD and family issues and trauma and like, and embracing things like therapy and talking about psychological disorders and talking about like, you know, mental health and the importance of, of like self-love and all that kind of stuff. Like I think generation Z is absolutely brilliant and they give me so much hope for the future. Like I am 
<laughs> even when I was a teenager, I have, I'm like way more inspired by the teenagers now. Like, I don't know. It, does that, it, that make sense? It's crazy like, though. If you think it's about just it, so cool, but you realize that our generation, we're only, only six years. So we're from 97, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2002. That's it. You guys. That's it. And then from 2003 is the next generation. So the crazy part is, is that the generation I come from, we're just a small little piece. And <clears throat> weren't you 95? I mean, wasn't your generation 95? No. Uh, millennial cut off in 96. Okay. And by the way, it's, it is important to discuss these timelines yeah. because when we're having these conversations um, and the point of peace of mind is, is about perspective and to be able to have a clear perspective on the conversation, you need to be able to put yourself in different positions because we grew up with different things and totally yeah i mean like okay like uh understanding of queer culture for example like the term gender queer i didn't encounter until i was in college like art school and like you know it's it's how i identify and how I, like, many people i know do but like it's also something that now it's like kids are able to see this term so young that they're like oh yes i don't feel like a boy or a girl i feel like something else that makes sense. I identify with this. I identify with being non-binary, but like there were so many things that were just like, I feel like in my generation and Gen Xers and stuff, you had like a vibe of something, like a feeling of something, but you didn't necessarily have the language for it. And a lot of, I think that a lot of like what your generation and the younger generation than you guys is doing is you're creating a language for things that we've all experienced and kind of struggled with throughout time. And that's well, really cool. Well, I mean, like one thing is for me is, I don't remember when gay marriage was illegal because I was too young. I mean, it became legal in 2008. Um, yeah. And, you know, the crazy part about me, like, and I don't know, again, what this has to do with cancel culture. We apologize. We went completely off topic again. But anyway, um, I have this problem because, you know, I have a very, like, specific, you know, like, thing that I'm, like, looking for in a person. Um and a lot of, I've realized this now, a lot of gay men that I've met, they don't understand what a serious relationship is because yeah. it is so new, okay? if you, Just to understand this, gay laws changed in 2008. That's like, what, 16 years? I thought it was later than that. No, it's 2008. I think, no, no. I think it's 2010. Sure, I think, oh, that's even, oh. It, no, it's later than that because I was in a, it's a long story. I'm not going to get into why, but I know for a fact that it's not 2008. I We will look this up. Let me, do you want me to look this up right now? I'm going to look it up. Okay. Uh, it was more recent than that. But no, you're right. It's because like, unless they had like a really strong supportive community, they were kind of alone in the world. Same thing with queer kids, trans kids, lesbians. Like it's, that's why I think that like having such a prolific social media universe now um, with so many different 
varieties of ways oh that you can communicate with each other and find God. each other. What? 2015. I was going to say, I thought it was later. Okay. Okay. Because okay. I was with, like, I was with a partner who, well, I mean, is trans, but at the time was identifying as a cis male. And we had talked about marriage and not getting married until everybody could get married, um, like legally. And that was in 2012. Yeah, it was 2015 that gay marriage was legalized. It was I mean, very, it was, it was very it, recent. I mean, it was legal, like in some states. Okay, let's just put it up. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, totally. But like as a whole, as a country. You know, I, see, this is like, this is, this is the shit that bothers me so much is where I, as an adult that is gay, has ADHD, has dyslexia, has PTSD, has all of these things. And I was never taught on how to be able to use these in a way that I wouldn't have to suffer in my adulthood. And I had to learn all of the shit in like, you know, the past couple of years. It would have been a little, it would have been nice if I had help when I was earlier and kids today have that. So I know it's awesome. It's amazing. It's so awesome. Well, that's, that's exactly what I was talking about. This is exactly what I was saying in terms of like, I love seeing just like how much this generation can connect with each other. Like we didn't have that. Like we didn't even have, none of us had phones. Like when my, when, when my band came together, when I was like 16 years old, we all met at Ozfest in 2003 and it was like me and one person and then the other couple. And we all kind of like stalked each other at Ozfest and we we're like, wow, they look really, really cool. I bet they are too cool and think that we're lame. And then the other couple was thinking that too. And then eventually we all talked to each other. And then at the end of the night, after wandering around for two hours and talking about starting a band called the fuzzy bunnies of death, we exchanged phone numbers written on pieces of paper in pencil that were to landlines. We had a landline in my house. <laughs> no, but like that was the only way to communicate with each other. Yeah, that was the that only was way it. that we that, yeah, that was the only way I can communicate with friends was through a landline. But like as like young queer kids, it was just luck of the draw. You just kind of go out there looking like a weirdo and see who resonates with you. That was it. I wasn't like, allowed I wasn't allowed to give out my number. I mean what's allowed well in my house it wasn't it wasn't allowed so but i just I, I, yeah i mean i'm not even talking about numbers i'm just saying like there was know, like like the experience all you, could, all, all you could do to find other people like you is to just you know dress very loud and vibrant and just signal basically to whoever was watching and listening and hope for the best and then you would eventually find your community or not you know, and it was a much scarier time. And my generation had it so much easier than generations before us. Like Gen Xers had it so much harder. And before that, like, you know, like, I mean, like there's so much, so much homophobia in like baby boomer generations. And obviously before that as well, like, but I, it's like, I, I, it's I'll a little easier every generation. I'll tell you, I had when I was living in Israel, one of the first times I wore heels in public. Um, 
I went to a party in a gay bar in Jerusalem. Okay, it's a very religious city. And I remember I was walking with a couple of friends and this guy screams from across the street and he's like, he's like, I'm trying to remember what he said. Oh, he's like, oh, hey, man, she or something. He's like, hey, are you a girl or something? And I don't know what came over me. I just looked at the guy and I was like, hey, honey, if you're going to pay for me, just give me the fucking money and put it on the floor. Otherwise, I'm leaving. And he's like, what the fuck did you tell me? I started running. Oh, great story. I had to share it. Nothing to do with cancel culture, but I had to share it. But yeah, I'm trying to like bring back to cancel culture. I think that like, if we think about how much our society has changed and evolved just in terms of what is not just seen as like acceptable, but like celebrated and like how much access there is to things. When we shut out ideas or people, unless obviously there's certain unredeemable things, but if we shut out certain people or certain whatever, we're not letting, we're not seeing how they can grow and integrate down the line. I do think there should be restrictions and people do bad things or say bad things or say stupid shit and it's posted on the internet or whatever. I think that, again, I think that how Aziz Ansari handled it was extremely good of like, you know, using his celebrity to highlight the stories of people who are in in even further marginalized groups of people. There should be, there should be, you know, maybe regulations on how people are allowed to integrate. Sorry for the music, by the way. Long story. Well, my partner is asleep upstairs. And so that's why I'm in their chair right now. But their phone is down here, which I didn't know until right now. So and that was that fo- noise. And, and the phone was ringing. The phone was ringing. I'm not going to go check it right now, but just so you know. Yeah. Wow. Well, we had our first <clears throat> random sound of the night. Random sound. I know. It's great. It's great, it's great to have random sounds. Um let's let's this is this is getting slippery. Uh where there we... should be a trial period or there should be like there should be like agreements and like guidelines to people reintegrating into society after being, you know, you know, gone I don't know how to not punished. Pause. It's hard to I'm trying I have a point. Pause. Here. <laughs> Girl. It's pause. Yeah, pause. I think it's a good way of looking at it. Pause. Like having your, like, it's not like you're canceled forever. You have the potential to come back and do good. But you have to show that you've truly changed. Put efforts into changing and, like, put actions behind your words and actually do some shit to make the world a better place before you're able to reintegrate into society in the same way or into fame or whatever. And making sure you stop groping those asses because, honey, you know, those people that grope the asses, okay? You know, they come into the office and they, you know, they grope a woman's fucking ass, okay? And it's, of course, I know that. It's disgusting. I think it's, anyway, um, I'm I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting lost in track. 
Who's calling him at this hour? That's a great question. It might be them calling their own phone to see where it is. But they only have one phone. This is a pretty ringtone. It is it is a pretty ringtone. I don't know how I don't know if our listeners would want a, a clip <laughs> of the ringtone. The ringtone used to be the the fake science like segment about the crack cocaine spider and I hated it so much. <laughs> Mine has been the same thing for probably three. Okay, my ringtone is I want to break free by Queen. Oh, cute. Yeah. I want to break free. I got to, got to break. Sorry, that terrible singing. Um, my ringtone is just silent and I, I it's just whatever default because I never have my phone off silent because I work in the film industry. Your phone is never on silent? What? Your phone is never on silent? No, it's never not on silent. It's always on silent. It's always well, unless I like have to wake up early and I need to call or something, like unless I have to like respond to a call. Basically, I just always keep it on silent because, um, I mean, I, one, I don't like the noise notifications, but like two, like you know, I work in the film industry, and so if it goes off, you could really mess up a shoot or just cause distraction to people who don't want to be distracted. Um, you, mean, you mean like right now? Yeah, like right now. But yeah when you cut off people and you sh- and you shut the door obviously there's certain things i don't want to be like oh everything is forgivable but like if you shut the door to people places and things you never like you're not part you're not creating a solution you're just cutting off that that person place or things access to the rest of society and what that does is that further alienates that person who's already in some way alienated or in some way, you know, doing things against society. It's just going to push them further down that hole and they're going to act out more and more. But if I think if they're given like a amount of time that they're no longer allowed to interact, they can kind of understand what they've missed and why they want to interact and what they did was wrong. I think that understanding I think that maybe the biggest part of call out, call in, cancel, whatever culture is, do the people who are getting called out, called in, et cetera, really understand why what they did was wrong? Like on, on a core level. I don't, it depends, it depends on the individual, but I think the most important thing to remember is we're dealing with celebrities and this is going to blow your mind. Ready? Three, two, one. Celebrities are human beings. Oh, yeah. They're not, they're not gods. Okay? They're, they're just like you. They poop and shit, and they fuck just like you. They got dicks and vaginas just like the rest of us. I mean, except a lot of work and treatment because they can afford it, um, which I can't, unfortunately. Um, but they will fuck up. And when they do, it's on a larger scale. And I, 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 th- I think you can tell when somebody is really sorry. There are people that have apologized, and I just want to spit on the floor because they're just doing it because they can get a, a deal with a company. 
if they apologize. And it's, it's disgusting. Well, I think that like remorse is shown through not just the, you know, emotion of the apology or whatever. Not everybody's an emotive person, but no, in the actions following it. Yes. Like, what are you doing to rectify the situation? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you do like like people who have lots of means and money who have done something to offend a large portion of society should you know, not because they are forced to, but by nature of what they've done wrong and the means that they have donate to portions of society that they may have wronged or that need help. Like they should donate their money and their time and their resources and their facilities and whatever. Like these are people who have positions of power. If you have those people that have that money and they help fund organizations to help the earth, um, you know, I'm talking about I'm talking about real organizations, not the fucking bullshit you see ads for on Instagram. Okay, I'm talking about real organizations that actually care about this earth, and you have these people that have a lot of money, and there are people that have a lot of money that support these organizations because they're so important for our society. I, I got arrested with some of those organizations in my twenties. Hmm? True story. <laughs> You got arrested? Like Rainforest Action Network and Greenpeace. And like certain celebrities like Woody Harrelson and Daryl Hannah are also people who have gotten arrested for those organizations. And those organizations are doing a lot of good. They do spend a lot of money on... I can actually tell you a lot of the breakdown of different environmental organizations because I spent nearly a decade doing environmental and social justice work. Um, And some of them are good. Some of them are not good. Some of them are total bullshit. Some of them are really wonderful grassroots organizations that don't get any funding. Um... But a lot of the time, the ones that get the biggest, the most clout in um, pop culture are not necessarily the ones that are doing the most effective work. No, they're the they're ones not. that look the best. Yeah, I know. It's always what, what it's always with the fancy colors. Um, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole because we only have a few more minutes left, and then I'm going to pass out. On my couch, which is my plan. So I don't have anything else. <laughs> huh? Can you hear me? I can. Your phone is it not not that well. What do you mean? Somehow you're also progressively quieter throughout this to me. Um, you're you're on the loudest setting of speaker on my phone. And I can't hear you very well. It's like you're on two or three. That's very odd. It is odd. Technology is just all kinds of glitching today. But we made it. Yes, we did. Um, Doofy, half-assed version of... (laughs) But it worked. It worked. It was fun. We went old-fashioned this time around. Um, yeah, well, I mean, this, this this has been a rabbit hole of cancel culture. And if you know anything about Lost in the Groove, um, I'm stoned off my fucking brains. And we, we go down wonderful, wonderful rabbit holes um, well, to yeah. different dimensions. I think that things maybe to think about if you're musing on this these topics later is to create change, you can't just close the door on something. Number one. Number two, if something was glorified in the past 
and then it's canceled in the future. It's not to say that it shouldn't get canceled, but understand that there needs to be a re-education around it, not just the canceling of it. Because a lot of the time, if something is glorified and people have not kept up with the trends, they might not understand how things have changed politically or socially. And like re-education is extremely important, especially with older generations. Yes. Um, before uh, we, you know, we're going to kind of tie everything up. Um, this has pretty much been cancel culture. Uh, we, we might have an episode next week. Um, Eli has an event next week for underland creation. I have so, a launch party for my company. Yes. Very exciting. I'm not going to be there, unfortunately, but, um, no, cause you're in Florida and I'm in LA. Yeah. So underland creations, LLC, any, uh, art and design and experience company. Yes. And if you're in LA, um, and would love to check it out, um, we have Eli's links, um, in the description box. You can definitely check it out. I'll post a flyer. I have a flyer. It's the easiest way to get the information. Yes. Um, and just wanted to share this. So we are going to be doing a episode on Harvey Milk and Freddie Mercury this month. Um, very, 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 very exciting. Um, be sure to check that out. Anyway, I gotta go. I'm gonna go fucking pass out on my couch and smoke my brains out even more. We love you all. Take good care. Make sure to tell your parents that they shouldn't go fuck themselves because they really love you. Um, anyway, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you. Bye.